Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Good morning, everyone. You may be seated. Good to have you here. Um, on this week during BBS, it was, I mean, it was crazy how many kids were in this room. And I'll tell you what, Presley was bragging on his dancing skills, but he didn't really give us a good demonstration up here, did he? That was kind of like, you know, I don't know, maybe there's something about being in a room full of like 200 second graders that brings out the, uh, the energy. We should do the potato chip song sometime with this crowd. How do you think that would go? Yeah, I don't know either. Anyway, my name's Patrick, and I'm one of the ministers here, and it's been a little while because summer is a little nuts, and you're going to get tired of hearing that, but uh, we are going to be heading up to camp to help out with our teen camp uh, this week. So a lot of our teenagers are gone. Uh, We've got some crew uh, out of town uh, for a variety of reasons, but but that's where they are. So one of the things we'd love from you is just when you're sitting there thinking like, oh, I wonder, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while, maybe pray for them because they're probably doing some sort of ministry and they could use your prayers. They could use a little bit of a break. Um, Everybody's wired a little differently, but I think this might be somewhat relatable. Uh, My house is a museum, and this is my fault, but it is a museum, a monument to unfinished home improvement projects. So if you come over, Kareen can take you on a tour, and here's where Patrick started to paint that, and here's where he started to fix that, and he said he would do it later, and here's where he promised that we would uh, replace this, but he hasn't done it. And you could just point out all the different things. I knew I was going to tell on myself this week, so I have been like in a flurry of trying to get some home improvement projects done this week so that when I said it, Kareen wouldn't say amen when I said I don't do projects very well, but she did anyway. So, But you, it's, just, it's just easy. And I say partially finished projects, but that's kind of an oxymoron. How can you have something that's partially finished? It's just not finished, right? Now, I don't know if anybody else has that, or maybe your house is completely finished, but you've got other unfinished things. Maybe you're one of those people that in your browser, you've got like 1,500 tabs open because you're going to go back to it. You've got that product in the shopping cart, and you're going to buy it, but you don't want to do it yet. You have to wait for this other thing. And there's all these pieces of these different puzzles waiting to happen to get this thing done. Now, the problem is, is you learn to navigate around the unfinished projects. You know how to hold the toilet handle just right so it flushes. But every time you have a guest over and they're like, "Eh, well, why don't you use the downstairs bathroom, the upstairs bathroom? It needs a little help. You got to have some instructions on the wall or you know how to pull the door just right. Or you know how to drive your car so that it works and it doesn't fall apart. But if you lent it to somebody else, they wouldn't get it. Like You know how to use it and you get used to the unfinished thing. I, I actually think that there's something similar with Christianity. And, and so if, if you can, for a moment, if you can relate, then I just want you to think about how this works in your own faith, in your own spirituality. But I think that there's something where we feel like we've got several, maybe several dozen, maybe several hundred unfinished projects when it comes to who we are in our walk of faith. We're, we're, we're not there yet. Uh, We're not where we were, we're just kind of in the middle, but the problem is we've gotten used to the unfinished project. We've gotten used to not being quite where we need to be, and we're not really trying, and we didn't 
quit Jesus, but we've just sort of slowed down or maybe, maybe even stopped. Have you had this experience when you're uh, reading scripture and at one point in your life you're reading scripture and just every word, every phrase is blowing your mind? You're like, this is incredible stuff. Why hasn't anybody shown me this before? This is amazing. You're highlighting everything. You're underlying everything. You're asking questions. You're just into it. You feel alive. And then at some point, I mean, it's the same scripture, but at some point you stop engaging or you kind of breeze through a few verses or a chapter just to kind of check it off and get it done. You're not quitting, but it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of settled into this, this lifeless, unfinished quality. You're, you're not flourishing. We're in the middle of this sort of half-done job. And we started well, but somewhere we got stuck and we settled. And I think this is a common experience. I think this is a lot of us. In fact, I think some of you may have shown up to church this morning kind of there where your, your spiritual life isn't, isn't full of vitality. You're not like plugged in. You're not feeling it. But you're, you're, you're okay. You're not where you were. You're doing okay. But you're not there yet. You're not continuing. You're not moving along. And I think, that, I think that's pretty relatable. Unfortunately, I think that's pretty relatable for a lot of us. It's, there's more. We've experienced the more, but we're not experiencing the more now. For whatever reason, we just kind of got stuck and we've sort of settled and we've gotten used to that stuckness. Now, I think, and I think this is true to say that most of us get stuck, we get settled, we, 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 we stop making progress as the result of a scam. There's some lie, there's some thought, there's some behavior, there's some ideology, there's some philosophy that we've bought into that's not correct and it's just sort of allowed us to wallow in this, in this lack of life. And I want to suggest that what we're going to be reading in the book of Colossians today, Paul is addressing that idea directly. So if you haven't been with us, that's totally okay. We're working our way through the book of Colossians. It's this, it's this incredible little letter that Paul wrote to this group of people that he hadn't met. Uh, somebody that he had taught had come listen to him teach, got all excited about what Paul was saying, and then had gone back to their hometown, Colossae, and started teaching people what he heard from Paul, and things were going awesome. And then there were these other ideas that began to seep into the church, and the, the Epaphras, the guy who had started this church, started to hear these thoughts, and he's like, I don't, th that's not what I heard from Paul, that doesn't sound right. And so he goes back to Paul, and he says, hey, something's wrong. They're buying into these weird ideas, and I don't know exactly where things took a left turn, but I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to address it. And so Paul writes a letter to this church trying to address the scam that they're being confronted with, that they're being tempted with. It's a spiritual scam taking root in Colossae. And here's how it works. And, and the good news is that here's how it works for all of us, and so it's something that we can watch out for. What happens is, is there's, you have your mark, right? Every con man has their mark. They find someone, maybe someone who's, who's dealing with something. They've got a lot on their plate. They've got a lot in their lives. Their mind's preoccupied. Or maybe they just want something different or something more. They find someone who's a little uncertain and a little unsettled, maybe a well-meaning, maybe a young Christian who des desires more out of their faith. And they don't know how to get more. And so what you do is you separate that person from the group. You say, hey, come over here. I, got, I want to talk to you about this. This is really good. You get them away from the group. This is really important. 
You cannot scam someone in the midst of lots of wise counsel. It doesn't work because people are like, no, that's a scam. Every time you've bought into a scam, every time you clicked a link on an email, every time you did something you probably shouldn't have done and resulted in a scam, you probably should have checked with somebody. I got an email this week saying, hey, did you send me a blank email that just has some random link? And I said, no, I did not send anybody a blank email that has a random link. And they're like, good to know. I'll mark it as scam, uh, a spam or scam and I won't open it. But every time we get scammed, it's because we've been separated from wise counsel. And we start listening to something that maybe isn't quite right, but it sounds good. You appeal to somebody's righteous sense of more. You really want to go deeper. You really want to know God more. You really, and then what you start to do is you start to criticize the church, you start to criticize the group like, yeah, preachers today, they're just not teaching the truth. They're just not telling people the way it is. But if you come over here, I'll tell you the way it is. I'll show you the path. I'll show you the secret, the way to get more. Now, you don't want to overtly claim that the church is bad. You just want to like kind of plant seeds of doubt. You want to say, oh, yeah, you've been, oh, you go to church, that's great. Uh, does, your, does your preacher talk about the X, Y, or Z? And, you know, you just try to sort of subtly undermine their, their relationship with others and their relationship with their church family, their relationship with God. You imply that there's more that they're missing out on. So the conversation could be something like this. Maybe you're talking to somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, you're a Christian. That's great. That's really, really good. I'm glad to hear that. You you seem like a real thoughtful person. You seem like a person who gets it. A little flattery. Uh, have, you ever, have, have you ever wondered why, man, so many churches just don't get it? Why are there so many weak Christians? Why so many people just don't, just don't live the way that they need to live, you know? Churches aren't teaching people the real truth. We've got to find the real truth. We've got we to find something good and, and real. And then you say, why don't more preachers... And then you insert the bad idea there. Why don't more preachers talk about my thing? And then you start, to, you start to inject the scam into the conversation. And this is exactly what's going on in Colossae. And part of the problem is, is it's playing on people's desire for more, for better, for something real and deep. We don't have good language for this as, as Americans. We don't have good vocabulary for what I'm about to talk about. There's not a good word to describe this. We use several words. But, but what I want to talk about is it's that thing when the what of what you are doing, the thing you are investing your time and your energy and your resources and your mentality into also is providing purpose and meaning in life. You know when it's not happening. You've all had jobs where you're just like, man, I am phoning this in. I am punching a clock. I am out of here. This is not providing me purpose and meaning. And it's, it's tough to live in a place like that where what you spend the bulk of your time doing, what you spend the bulk of your energy on is not giving you purpose and meaning. So whatever the word is for that, when those two things come together, the things you're doing and the things that provide true life-giving reality, when those come together, whatever that word is, whatever word you would want to use, meaning, purpose, joy, contentment, satisfaction, uh, think of that word. And there are some people who seem to find it. 
For example, there's a gentleman by the name of Willie Sutton. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Willie Sutton, but he was a very prolific bank robber. I think I have a picture up there uh, if you want to bring it up. He was this guy that was amazing at robbing banks, but he was a gentleman bank robber because he would never use a loaded gun. It was always unloaded and he would just go in and he would try to threaten people into giving him their money. Now, he got caught several times. He escaped several times. And finally, somebody asked him, hey, uh, why do you rob banks? Why do you do that? And Willie Sutton says, well, because that's where the money is. It's a great answer. He wrote about this in an autobiography. And I thought that was a great answer. But he said, no, actually, really, I rob banks because when I'm robbing banks, I feel alive. He found meaning and purpose and joy in life through robbing banks. And so he might say, as an apostle of the bank robbing industry, he might say, if you want to find meaning and purpose and joy in life, you too go out and you rob banks as well. You could do that. But he found it. What he was spending his life doing and what was providing meaning came together. There's another gentleman by the name of Emil Zapotec, and he was an early marathoner. He was a guy who got into marathoning kind of back when people thought you were nuts for running down the road. Like, what's going, why are you doing that? People just didn't run. Now you see it all the time. Back then, people, it just didn't happen. He entered the Olympics in 1952. His very first competitive marathon, he won gold. And later in his life, somebody's like, hey, why do you run? Why do you run? And he says the same thing, because it's that's where I feel alive. That's where I feel it. I run because that's where what I'm doing and what is giving me meaning and purpose come together. Socrates, who would have given a lot of language to philosophy and meaning and purpose at the time that Paul was writing to Colossae, Socrates said, hey, real meaning, real purpose comes from a life well lived. Sounds generic enough. And then he went on to define that. And he says, a life well lived is about wisdom and knowledge. It's about combining wisdom and knowledge, being able to look at the things around you and know how it all works. And then and then being able to be wise enough to do the things that really give you meaning. So you've got Willie Sutton, you've got Emile Zapotec, you've got Socrates, and they're saying, here's where you find purpose, here's where you find meaning, here's where you find it. And then Paul comes along and he says, actually, hang on, before you get all caught up in robbing banks or running marathons or in Greek philosophy, whatever it is, before you get all caught up in that, let me tell you where it's really, truly found. And this isn't going to be a surprise for us. I mean, come on. We're at church on a Sunday morning. Of course, it's not going to be a surprise where Paul is going to say, here's where real purpose, here's where, where, where real meaning is found. This is what he says. And I mean, it's no shock, right? Where is real purpose and meaning found? What's Paul going to say? Jesus, right? Now you're like, well, of course he's going to say Jesus. Of course you're going to say Jesus. You're a preacher on a Sunday morning up on stage. Of course you're going to say Jesus. You're reading the Bible, of course. But is that really truly where it is? Because we're a bunch of Christians who have tried to invest our lives into faith, into Christianity, and we still have found ourselves somehow stuck, somehow not flourishing, somehow not truly living, somehow not experiencing that life-giving spirit, that life-giving reality that we see exemplified through Jesus in the gospel. So you can say that's an answer, Patrick, but I mean, come on. This is what Paul says, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. 
For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Remember, he's not met a lot of these people. Now, when he writes struggle, it's a great word. It's, it's actually the word you would use to describe an arena, like where gladiators fought or a boxing ring. It's the same word. It's, it's where we get the word agony. And he says, hey, I am fighting for everyone. Even people I have never seen, people that have never seen my face, I am fighting for them. Why are you fighting for them? That their hearts may be encouraged, that they may be full of courage. What's that about? That they may be knit together in love. Why? Because I want them to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, the mystery of life, which is Christ. In whom, he says in verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want to know what it's all about. And he, notice he borrows Socrates' language here. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so if you've started this journey with Christ, and you're like, ah, I'm just not feeling anymore. I'm going to have to go explore wisdom and knowledge and meaning and purpose and joy and satisfaction somewhere else. Then Paul's saying, you're missing the point. Badly. It's always been in Christ. And this is one of the struggles of Christianity is to help even Christians remember that it's just all in Christ all the time. It's just all about Christ. We're never going to discover something outside of Christ that provides our life with full, lasting intention and purpose and meaning in life. We will never discover it. Now, the problem is, is I say those words and some of you are like, well, I'm going to try anyway. You may not say it that way, but you're going to do it anyway. You're going to try to find experience and life and purpose and joy and meaning and contentment outside of Christ. We're all going to do it, even though we've been told it doesn't exist. Not, not lasting meaning and purpose, because what happens when you run out of banks to rob? What happens when you can't run marathons anymore? What happens when your brain cannot process the philosophy anymore? Then you lose meaning and purpose? No. Because meaning and purpose didn't ultimately come from those things anyway. Now, Paul is making two crucial claims, right? First one's obvious. It's, it's Christ. It's Jesus. That's what it's all about. And it's not, this is, <laughs> this is one of those things that's so important. It's not a lifestyle. It's not a moral code. It's not a policy. It's not a program. It's not a system. It's not a secret. It's just Jesus. It's this, this being with whom we can have a relationship. That's just always what it's been. They've just hammered this same point home again and again and again. And why do they keep saying the same thing again and again, again and again and again? It's because we forget it or we miss it or we lose it. We're saying, maybe we'll chase meaning. Maybe we'll chase purpose somewhere else. I kind of think, this is probably a terrible example, but I'm going to use it anyway. I kind of think that it's like the American flag. I don't mean that in the purpose uh, or in the sense of like nationalism or anything like that. That's bad news bears. Sometimes Christians get caught up in this sense that real meaning and purpose comes from having a sense of patriotism to this specific country. And Paul is very clear. We're citizens of another country. It's fine, you know, vote, whatever, pay taxes, all that stuff. But it's not, it's not nationalism. But there's all these people, you know, we're about to celebrate the 4th of July. And, and this might be, I don't know some typical parade crowd of a bunch of people, you know, with American flags draped over them. And they're, they're treating the American flag kind of as this abstract symbol. It, it represents USA. And they get excited around the 4th. And they get excited during the Olympics. You know, you cheer on the U.S. teams until they don't make it. But it's, you know, it's great. It's great. 
So at its best, you know, this is the flag is a symbol that kind of brings people together and we share some common sense of whatever, unity or whatever. But it's, it's generally, for a lot of us, and me too, it's kind of an abstract symbol. For, for example, um, did you know that there's a lot of rules about how you're supposed to treat the flag? A ton of rules. And you're not supposed to wear it. It's not supposed to be clothing. In fact, if you are treating it as clothing, you're disrespecting the flag code, you know, whatever. Nobody's going to arrest you. You're not going to get in trouble. It's just saying you don't really understand the substance behind that. Now, of course, you know, people who are in the military say, ah, you know, whatever, I don't care. I fought and died or my friends fought and died. So people could do all kinds of crazy things with the flag. That's fine. I was speaking to this, this immigrant um, who had fought tooth and nail to get himself and his family to the United States because they grew up in a part of the world where they did not have access to, uh, to upward mobility. They did not have access in some cases to kind of just the basic pleasantries of life. And he had done everything he can in order to try to make his family's life better. He had done everything he could to bring his family here to the States. And he loved the flag because it wasn't an abstract symbol anymore. It represented something about who he was and what he believed about the world and what he wanted for his family. It wasn't just something to, to you know, wear at a 4th of July party. It was something real and substantial to who he was. See, here's the problem. A lot of us treat Jesus as the abstract symbol that we can wear. And maybe it's even a nice cross necklace or a cross tattoo or a verse of the Bible somewhere written on our bodies or on our homes, on our walls. Maybe it's something as, as permanent as that. But it's still this abstract idea because Jesus isn't central to who we are. We don't understand that Jesus fought tooth and nail to drag us out of sin and bring us into a relationship with himself we don't understand that so the the cross the concept of jesus christianity church all that stuff becomes sort of a take it or leave it proposition because we don't understand the deep sacrifices and the deep value and the deep purpose and meaning that it is all in christ that's what it has always been that's always been the message that's always been the truth it's not an abstract idea and when we think that Jesus is just this abstraction, we will look for meaning elsewhere, even if we're wearing cross necklaces, even if we've got a cross tattooed on our body, we'll still look for ultimate purpose and meaning elsewhere because Jesus isn't real. The second thing that Paul uh, points out in this passage is that this pursuit of our relationship with Jesus isn't done in a passive environment. This isn't something that we just slide into and everything's the way it's supposed to be. <clears throat> he talks about courageous hearts. The word encourage seems too soft in some sense because encourage just feels like you're patting somebody on the back. And I suppose there's an element of that. But what he's saying is, is he goes, I want your hearts. I want to take your heart and I want to fill it with courage. Why would your heart need to be filled with courage if Christianity is just about hanging out and sometimes avoiding certain sins and temptations? No, you need courage because what you're pursuing in this relationship with Jesus doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens with, with, with conflict and with people pushing against this reality. That's, that's the situation in which it happens. It doesn't happen in ideal conditions. We don't just seek Jesus when the sun is shining and the laundry is done. We seek Jesus in the midst of all that. 
when we're having to change dirty diapers, when we're having to clean up messes, when we're having to fold laundry, when we're having to, to, to work at a job that maybe we don't love, that's where this relationship with Jesus happens with, amidst the, the distractions and deadlines and sick kids and relationship drama and the constant, listen, church, we live in a society that constantly berates us making us feel like ultimate meaning and value and purpose is somewhere else, but not in Jesus. Every advertisement you listen to is trying to sell you on the notion that real satisfaction is if you replace your furnace this winter, or if you sign this lease on this car, or if you purchase this product. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we're so, it's the water we swim in and we don't even realize it. It's everything that we hear. Every time you're on Facebook, Facebook is trying to get your peripheral vision to take in advertisements. And sometimes it's putting them right in your feed. Like if you bought this thing and it's so good, right? I mean, they're trying to, they're, they're very targeted. I don't, I try not to get on Facebook very often, but sometimes when I do, it's like, I, I mean, Facebook is listening to my conversations. Oh, hey, Kareen, I think that we maybe need to get ourselves a new dishwasher. And lo and behold, what shows up in my feed? Dishwashers, 100% off. That sounds good. Click. You know? It's amazing. Or uh, the thing that I think is really crazy about Facebook is that it'll actually, it'll actually put on, um, uh, it'll show you like a t-shirt or something, and then it'll be like your last name. Have you seen that? You know, it'll be some goofy thing and you're like, well, how do they know? How do they know? They know. They know. And they want you to buy. They want you to buy. You hear this message all the time. Our, uh, our group did uh, church with everybody last week when we were in Mexico. Sorry about the words on the picture. I forgot to delete that, but whatever. It's from an old sermon. Uh, it's important. You should learn that too. But anyway, this is a picture of our group. This is just part of it. And as you can tell, uh, there, I don't know if you can see, there's a picture of Steve on the TV. Where's Steve? Where are you? There you are. It's a picture on, uh, of Steve. And I sent this to, pick, to Steve and I was like, Steve, I promise you we're watching. We're, we're with you. And Steve says, yeah, they look real riveted. <laughs> I, uh, I probably should have uh, told them, hey, pay attention. Like, look like you're listening. But they were. They were. And so we're watching this, and it's kind of a weird thing, you know? A, a lot of churches today, this is kind of how you take in the message. It's on a screen from, you know, the main guys at another campus. And, but it's still kind of weird not to be there. But as we were in that room, we were singing along with you. Uh, it sounded really good, actually, in the room. It was kind of awesome. I was kind of proud of uh, how well we were doing. But it dawned on me as we were sitting there that this to someone else, they would come in and they were like, why are you watching a screen of some guy who's hundreds of miles away talking and you're not even with these people? What does that matter? And I'm like, it deeply matters. It deeply matters that we, for a moment, stopped what we were doing. We, we maybe hopefully forgot about ourselves for a second and joined in with this church body and sang with you and learned with you and laughed with you. And some of them fell asleep with you. All those things that we were part of this purpose, that we were part of what was happening here, that we were, as Paul would say, we were being knit together. And this is just one way that it happens. But we were being knit together so that as a community, we become stronger. 
so that we as a community, we can, we, can, we can push back against the messages that we're constantly hearing about where true meaning and value and purpose comes from. We're weaving ourselves into the group because bad ideas, they want you alone. Bad ideas want you isolated. And, and don't hear me say, oh, yeah, Patrick just wants us to come on church, to church on a Sunday morning. But I'm telling you, bad ideas want you to stay home from church on a Sunday morning. Bad ideas want you to sleep in and say, it's not that big of a deal. It's not important. Bad ideas don't want you to go to lunch with another Christian. Bad ideas don't want you to call someone up when you're struggling. Bad ideas want you to keep you isolated and alone, and your brain will say, yeah, they don't want to hear from me. Nobody has time for me. Bad ideas want you to believe that because then they can separate you, and then you start to believe those bad ideas are true and real, and they're not. And Paul writes this, why do, why, why do I want you to be encouraged in your heart? Why do I want you to be knit together? And he says in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Well, that sounds good. Well, yeah, it's because you got separated from the herd. Verse 5, for though I am absent with you in body. Notice this is kind of cool. He talks about this very idea. He goes, I've never met you. And still this connection that we have in Christ matters. Now, I'm absent with you in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, he's going to talk about what that scam is, that plausible argument in just a second. But, but I want you to, to, to notice something before we get there. He's going to readdress it. But I want you to notice in verse 6, he goes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, some of your versions will say as Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. You see all these strengthening metaphors that he's using? Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This uh, verse right up here is the first imperative command in the book of Colossians. This is the first time that Paul says, here's something you have to do. Everything else has just been information. Here's the way it is. Here's the way the world works. Here's the way Christianity works. Here's the way Jesus is. Here's who he is. It's all been ideas. This is the first command. Just as you received uh, Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him. Walk in him. We're going to talk about that in just a second. In the country that I grew up in, they had a saying uh, that, well, it's pronounced chabador. And the saying roughly translates to close enough. And so this, for some of you who have unfinished projects at your house, this could be a very useful term. You could just tell your loved one who's saying, hey, will you finish that? You can just say chabador. It's close enough. No big deal. It's kind of a shrug of your shoulders uh, attitude. So you know what I'm talking about. Come on. Come on. Horseshoes and hand grenades. It's close enough, right? Chabador. Well, the problem is, <laughs> is there's, well, uh, the first time I heard this phrase, uh, near our house, they were constructing this apartment complex. And in that part of the country, Taiwan, for those of you who don't know, in that part of the country, they get uh, thousands of earthquakes every year. And you're like, thousands? How can that be? It just must be constantly shaking. Well, the earth shakes a lot. You don't feel all of them, but the ones you do feel are pretty disconcerting. It's a very small island, and so they build up. And so if you're on, the first time I experienced an earthquake in Taiwan, I was on like the 50th floor of a building, and I'm like, uh-oh, this is it. This is the end. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. And they build most of the construction to accommodate for that. So near our house, they're building this apartment complex. It's up about five stories. And they stop, and they look like they're done. Uh, and they have the inspectors come and check it all out, make sure it's got the right amount of rebar and concrete and all that stuff, right? All that stuff that they do. 
And then the inspectors left, and then the construction workers built another two stories on top of the apartment complex. And I was talking to somebody. I was like, why do they do that? Why do they, why do they have the inspector come and then build a couple more stories? And they said, oh, you know, it's, it's close enough. The safety standards are close enough for five stories that they are to seven stories. It's close enough, and you save a little bit of money. You don't have to put the extra rebar in there. You don't have to put the extra concrete in there. And this has actually become quite a problem. Here's a, a headline from the English newspaper in Taiwan called the Taiwan News. There's an article where it talks about Taiwan judicial yuan president blames MRT crash on Chabadua. And what had happened is some construction crew had set up a crane and they hadn't bolted everything just right. And they walked away and they were like, eh, Chabadua, it's good enough, it's close enough. And then the crane falls. And this kind of stuff happens all the time. Hey, that's, you know, you're manufacturing this product, but you're missing some stitching. Yeah, close enough. But that's the wrong color. Yeah, close enough. And it's a big problem. And they're trying to change the mentality of the culture to say, no, you can't. some things just can't be close enough, right? We're not playing a game here. We've got to be right on. It's got to, it's got to matter. The text we just read are, offers four participles, which are a, a way of our language turning a, a noun into a verb. So what he does, we don't work. This, this isn't a very good example of this because for us to understand what he's writing, it doesn't work. But the actual language says, so walking in him. Well, that doesn't sound right because it, walking is past tense for us. But so walking in him, or it says so rooting in him, or building in him, or establishing in him. That would be the actual language, but it doesn't work. But what Paul's saying is he's taking several different metaphors and he's trying to help people understand this relationship that we have with Jesus and how it's this constant, ongoing thing. You never reach, if you're at a plateau, then you've taken a wrong turn. You're always building, you're always walking, you're always growing, you're always putting roots down deeper. That's constantly what he's doing. I have a slide that shows all these metaphors. He's just trying to help us understand this is a journey, or you're always growing, or you're always building. Or the last one is kind of an interesting, it's a word that comes from the legal realm, but, or you're always proving this case. It's why even when you believe something to be true, it's helpful to have that truth constantly reinforced. You believe it. I've heard that. Why do I need to hear it again? Why do I need to hear it every Sunday? Why do we need to have a guy come up here every week and remind us to think about Jesus' sacrifice and we take the bread and the cup? Why? Because we constantly need to be reminded of these things because we're constantly building. And if we're not moving up, then we're in trouble. We've missed something along the way. What Paul is saying is that you don't start with Jesus and then move on to something else. Yeah. Of course not. We know that, right? Of course. We're building a uh, sign out front. I say we. I haven't done a single thing. A sign is being built out front by some very uh, capable volunteers. So I've got some series of pictures. There's the hole. Looks like we're about to bury somebody. Uh, and then there's Travis in the hole laying a concrete foundation with rebar. Uh, and then they've got these cinder blocks. There's concrete inside the cinder blocks. And then there's Joey on top of it. I'm not implying that, wow, this sign can hold Joey. I'm just, Joey was up there when I took the picture. Now, these guys said, hey, we overbuilt. Or I shouldn't say guys. Joey said that we're overbuilding the sign. But what he was saying is, it's like, it's this giant wind sail. What if you get 60, 70 mile per hour gusts? You've got to make sure that what you built on is incredibly solid. 
And it would be insane. These guys wouldn't do it anyway, but it would be insane to have like all this depth and all this concrete and rebar and cinder block and then, you know, make the, the top of the sign out of something from Ikea. You know, that would be crazy. Particle board. That'd be crazy. Paper mache. That'd be nuts. Why would we do that? You wouldn't go to all that work to build this foundation and then build on it with something silly, something that's going to fall apart. Of course not. And that's all Paul is saying here in this passage. We are, our lives need to be deeply anchored in this truth, in this reality. I've seen it. You've seen it. People start building their life with Jesus and then over time move on to something else that's not Jesus anymore. This happens. People build their lives. They start on Jesus and they're excited about truth and scripture and prayer and community. And then at some point, their, their spiritual life starts to be built on political points of view. And the person that they listen to the most isn't the Holy Spirit of God living in them. The person they listen to the most is somebody that's on TV or some podcast. That's the person they listen to the most. And they've built their life on this thing, and then they've continued to build their life in some political reality. It's conservative. It's progressive. It's all that. And it, listen, none of that will provide ultimate meaning. All it will do is make you constantly angry. Because you'll just be upset all the time because somebody isn't doing the thing that you were told needed to be done by your political pundit. We can't build our, start our lives on Jesus and then continue to build in something else. Some of us struggle with building our lives on messaging from social media. The guys, the gals that build the algorithm, algorithms for social media, they know what they're doing. They know that they want to keep your eyeballs on there and they know that these quick 10-second messages, man, they can sink deeply. And we've started being excited with Jesus, but we've continued to build with some person. We have no clue who they are or what they truly believe. And we're hearing that messaging about what life really truly should be and what really matters. And it's just ridiculous. Some people start their lives on Jesus, and then they continue it with their own accomplishments or their children's accomplishments. Yeah. If they can pour their entire lives and their children's lives into their accomplishments, but that's not Jesus either. And then their children are missing out on that foundation of Christ. Some people build their lives on all, I mean, all kinds of philosophies. Here's what happens. We start off with Jesus, and if we move on to something else, what happens is nothing. Nothing happens immediately. You started listening to that politician, that political pundit. You started listening to whatever messaging. You stopped reading your Bible. You stopped praying. Maybe you skipped coming to church. You stopped going to your small group. You stopped participating in that community, that you spiritual community that you had. You stopped doing those things, and nothing bad happened. Nothing fell apart immediately. And you thought, well, I guess it wasn't that big of a deal. I, I, I can do less of that and spend more time devoted to these other things that, that I, I'd like to do. Nothing happens immediately. And that's the problem. Nothing happens immediately. But what you're doing is you're undermining the foundations of your faith. And at some point, it will collapse. And I've seen people's faith collapse. And what they do is they say, hmm, there must be a problem with Christianity. There must be a problem with faith. Rather than saying there was a problem with my faith. There was a problem with my Christianity. Here's how Paul defines the scam. This is the last verse that we're going to wrap up. Verse 8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. That's the word that the Greek guys were using. That's the love of wisdom and empty deceit according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. 
there's a particularly tricky scam that you have gotten emails and texts about. And what this scam is, is you get an email or a text alert saying, hey, you're being scammed. And your fear response like, oh no, I'm being scammed. Somebody's stealing my identity or they're getting access to my bank accounts or whatever is they're claiming is happening. And then this text or this email will say, to stop the scam from happening, just click on this link. And you know what happens, of course, when you click on that link is you're being directed to the scam. And then the scam says, oh, yeah, just reset your password. And, and, and by the way, if you have your social security number handy, just you know, pass that on. And some of you have done this. And all of a sudden, you realize you, know, you talk to your, your spouse later. And you're like, hey, did uh, we cancel this thing? Or we do this thing? And your spouse is like, no, I don't know. Oh, and then you're like, oh, that was, a, that was a scam. And they now have my credit card number and my social security number. And I send them a picture of my face. I didn't know what to do. You know. And the scam is tricky because it's, it's telling you you're being scammed. And that's so tricky. Because you're like, oh, I need to fix that right now. This is, is, is exactly what's happening with what Paul's talking about. They're being told that people like Paul are lying to them. And they need to be on high alert and ignore people like Paul and Epaphras and the other people that founded their faith and start listening to somebody else. And they're like, okay, I guess I got to do that because I don't want to get scammed spiritually. But he talks about human tradition and the elemental spirits of this world. I was trying to think, like, how do you describe, you know, human tradition is, you know, anything that relies on us, right, or any, anything that we do. But elemental spirits of this world. It's maybe not something that we wrestle with, but I thought this was really interesting. And I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up. I promise. It's coming fast. But um, yesterday, we were driving all over creation because we had to go see my oldest daughter who's doing an internship in Iowa, and then my nephew was getting married in Wisconsin. So we're all over the place. We got to the wedding a little bit early, and it was 90 degrees out. It was an outdoor wedding. We didn't want to stand outside in the million degrees in the you know, fancy clothes. And so we stopped at this little gift shop to uh, check it out. It's this little tiny town, about 5,000 people, and they have this little tiny town gift shop. And you're like, oh, we're going to see some cool little gifts. Go in there, and I see a book section of the gift shop, and I'm, I love books. Go to the book section, and I'm like, cool, what books am I going to find? Every single book in that section was about how to get better at witchcraft. And I'm like, this is tiny, rural America. And there's a whole bookstore with like, hey, practical witchcraft, how to be a better witch. And I'm like, this is nuts. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't want that. And I look over at this other section that looks like board games. And it was a whole section of tarot cards. And I'm like, that's crazy. And I'm looking at the tarot cards. I should have taken a picture and brought it. But anyway, one of the packages you could buy of tarot cards was tarot. You know what tarot cards are, right? How to, you know, like predict future, right? One of them was tarot cards for pets. Which I was like, so you're telling your dog's future? Your dog just wants to like eat and sleep. Like I don't think that there's a lot of complexity, but you can do future, whatever, foretelling for your dog. And it was interesting because as I'm looking at this stuff, I'm like, who is buying this? Who is buying this? Because you think of things like that and you're like, ah, that's old. Nobody believes that stuff anymore. And evidently there's a whole publishing industry for this kind of thing. It is easy, and I've even seen Christians, not, they're, they're not walking around, they didn't say, Patrick, hey, check out my new book on witchcraft, nobody's doing that, but I've heard Christians talk about like their horoscope, and I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you, why, why do you, what, what is that? Why would you do that? Or Christians who, hey, you gotta get into this, this YouTube guy, he's got it figured out. He's not, he's not talking about God, he's not talking about Jesus. Why are you, what are you doing? Why are you buying into that? The elemental spiritual forces of this world. It's nuts. 
It's crazy. I tend to think it's from another era, but it's here. People bought into this little system, just Jesus and a little paganism, I guess. Let me wrap up by saying this. There's so much more we could talk about, so this is going to feel like an abrupt stop, but you guys are ready to be done. Any means of finding meaning in life that isn't anchored in Christ is a scam. Just period. That's it. So if you're listening, even if the guy's a preacher and it has the word church on the YouTube title, but he's not talking about Christ. Alert, 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 alert. The book, alert. The, the, the tarot cards for your pets, alert. <laughs> you know, don't buy those. Any means of finding meaning in life that isn't anchored in Christ is a scam. We're going to continue our study next week where Paul talks about how the fullness of deity lives in Christ. And it's so good to hear these things and remind ourselves of these truths so that we can plug back in to reality. We're going to sing a song in closing. I'm going to invite the praise team back up. We're going to sing uh, a song called, well, it's called Revelation Song. Uh, And I think we've learned it a couple times, but uh, sing it. But think about what we're singing. Think about the reality that we're expressing through these words. Let's go ahead and stand together and let's sing this.